Hello and welcome to Switch It, the podcast that could make even the kookaburra talk. That silence ball in the end in Hamilton, for the rain washed away all evidence that England and New Zealand had been there, which begs the question, if a series isn't being played for World Test Championship points, is it being played at all? <laughs> to answer this and other philosophical quandaries, I'm joined on the couch by a couple of cricket's leading thinkers in Mark Butcher and Andrew Miller. Before we get started, though, the last 24 hours brought us news that cricket had lost one of its true greats. Bob Willis, fast bowler and verdict giver, former England captain and still his country's fourth highest wicket-taker in tests, hero of Headingley and cult hero of Sky Sports cricket coverage. Butch, you knew him well, worked with him at Sky. These are bleak midwinter tidings indeed. Yes, mate, they are. Um, I was uh, was devastated to hear the news yesterday. Um, And it kind of didn't seem very real then, but it's... uh, the reality of it has come crashing down on me this morning, and um, <laughs> I'm pretty upset about it. He was um, he was just a great guy, really was. Um, you know, when as a player in the days before I had any um, any real knowledge of him as a man, you know, he was kind of terrifying. Uh, the idea that you would get any sort of um, quarter out of him or any sort of praise out of him was kind of was something that, that almost would spur you on the idea that you were more than likely being rinsed by him was was something was something else that was always uh, that was uh highly likely um i remember the first time i sort of had anything anything really to do with him was on a tour of bangladesh actually and uh, we were in chittagong and as you know we all know that sort of the the Sky Sports guys, plus some of the players back in those days, we all liked to have a, a beverage or, or two, and there kind of wasn't anywhere to do that in in the gong, and so Rob was a little <laughs> bit miserable. Um, and I just I can remember just briefly having a conversation with Bob as somebody was was coming in to the hotel, a runner was coming into the hotel with with, uh, with brown paper bags, which probably had liquor of some type in them, and he and I sort of exchanged a bit of a, a moment and a joke. Um, and, and sort of from that moment on, I, I warmed to the idea of Bob Willis. And then, of course, um, much later on, as I started to, to, to be more in, in television studios than, than on the cricket field, I, I obviously started to know him extremely well. Um, first of all, as a broadcaster, um, you know, I'd kind of sit there in awe and, and, and listen to his, his opening monologues, really. I mean, that was kind of one of the, 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 the things you don't get a lot of teaching, a lot of a lot of um, tuition when it comes to to uh, to getting behind the microphone, which might not come as a surprise to anybody, <laughs> but some people might be shocked to hear that. Um, and so it was it was very much a question of um, sitting there and, and listening and learning, keeping your eyes and ears open. And Bobby would always, you know, if if he was on first comms, which would be his natural, you know, the natural spot, sort of bringing everybody up to date with the story, introducing the game, the teams, the match situation, the importance of or, or, or lack of um, importance of the, of the game. And so, you know, you'd sit there in the, in the colour commentator's chair and just kind of just watch and, and, and listen to the way he set the whole thing up. And it was peerless. Um, and, you, you know, you'd kind of, <laughs> again, a little bit like when I was playing, initially you'd kind of be terrified to pick the microphone up off the desk because you just think, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to get in the way, and I don't want him to glare at me. I don't want him to scowl. <laughs> um, you know, but all of that was all of that was his way of, of kind of giving you the education that you that you needed without him sort of sitting there and going right now, walking you through the whole thing. 
Um, and then, you know, as, as, as things progressed, he just is just the funniest, um, warmest, most generous, um, most interesting, um, you know, the, the bloke that I've, that I've ever met, that I've worked with. Um, and, and this from somebody that the public perception uh, of whom would be of a sort of a miserable, dour old sod who kind of, you know, spends the whole day howling at the... Howling at the howling at the clouds, you know, <laughs> which couldn't be further from the truth. Um, and so, you know, I just I'm very very pleased to have known him. Very pleased to have watched him as a kid. You know, that that's the iconic run up and the, you know, I'm just sort of learning today about the, the, how great his his numbers were as a fast bowler and his longevity and all that kind of stuff, which I was aware of, but that kind of wasn't my that wasn't the re- my my reason for sort of being so in awe of him. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's dreadfully sad. And I'm uh, just, I don't know, tomorrow will be a, a different way of, of looking at it, I'm sure. But today I'm a bit sore. Um, Miller, you've written that you, you already knew who Willis was before cricket had begun to take root in your consciousness. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it was you know, as I, as I wrote in the piece last night, it was uh, the formative memories of, of Bob Willis. Obviously, his career finished before I really... I was old enough to, to to know of him, but you know, somewhere along the line, before I really understood cricket, I had seen highlights of heading the eighty one. I'd seen that that vicious delivery to Trevor Chapel that just rears at his gloves. That somehow he, he achieved vertical takeoff with his deliveries in that spell. It, he was the fastest, meanest bowler that England produced uh, in my lifetime. Before my lifetime, um, I think um, Ian Botham said he was the only great fast bowler that England produced in his career, and he was the only counterpoint that England had to a great era of fast bowling. I mean, you bear in mind uh, around that time obviously the West Indies mean machine was was ramping up. You got uh, Lillian Thompson in Australia um, later on you got um, the, the Pakistanis coming through with, with Wasim and Co and, and in the middle of this here's Bob Willis, basically the, this lone ranger and his numbers as, as Butch alluded to, I mean 325 wickets in 90 tests I mean, this day and age you know, we've got a fair few players have gone beyond 100. I mean, James Anderson, 145 and counting. But in that day and age, I mean, I remember the how extraordinary it was when um, when players reached 400 wickets. You've got Lily and, and Kapil Dev got to 400. But, you know, for a long time, 300 was just out of this world. Just, just It was hard to believe that any player could last that long, particularly a guy who in 1975 had to have operations on both of his knees. I mean, it said that he carried on bowling. He was barely ever out of pain as a fast bowler for the rest of his career. Um, I mean, he was, a, as you can see from his run-up, he was tall, gangly, he wasn't a natural athlete, but my God, he kept galloping in. Um, it was it was an inspirational, I mean, as I say, my entire memory of, of his career is only from uh, rain delay footage on BBC and, and luckily on YouTube, but... Uh, I'm fully immersed in the legend of Bob Willis, uh, and that legend was fully formed in my in my brain by the time I realised that uh, cricket was the greatest sport on earth. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, say imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Anyone could begin a, a bit of ham commentary about a day's play with a "Well, Charles," <laughs> um, and be instantly understood. And and in the same way, sort of Alistair Cook bowling against India a few years ago. Um, Doing the run up, everyone, everyone knew exactly who that was as well. Um, he was sort of just an iconic, uh, um, butch in, in Yeah, the game. yeah, I mean, the, you know, and then, and then the look. Um, <laughs> obviously the, the, the Dylan Perm, um, you know, the, the, the height of the man and the fact that there was barely an ounce on him and, you know, that was, that was right the, right the way through. 
um, you know, he he worked unbelievably hard at his fitness. There's one thing that I again that you pick up from being around him and and the and the, and the older players at the time was that Bobby used to run he, and he ran a lot. You know, he'd never go in the gym as you you know his physique was not of somebody that was that was carrying any excess muscle, but he would he would pound the streets. You know, he'd be kind of like a, you know sort of boxing style. Um, measured, even paced, running, and just run for miles and miles and miles. Um, and that was where the, the stamina and the fitness came from that allowed him to, to bowl ridiculously long spells to stay, you know, to stay at the top of his game for 13, 14 years as a, as a test match bowler. Now, now, it was said, I think, that, you know, the, the, uh, the members at Warwickshire were often kind of a little bit perturbed as to his sort of lack of, or his, his appearing um, lack of enthusiasm for the county game. But when you sort of think about what the guys used to do in those days with, you know, three day matches being split with 40 over games at the weekend, followed by another, you know, 23, four day, three day games a summer, plus the John Player League, plus the 60 over game, whatever it might be. Um, you know, somebody that was supposed to be going out there and being a spearhead for the county kind of needed to take care of himself a bit. And so he was bloody minded enough to know when it was important that he, that he put the foot down and when it was important that he put the feet up. Um, so, you know, that he was a, it's kind of a forerunner, I guess. I think John Snow was somebody that, that he, that Bobby would, um, would mention as being sort of like somebody that he took a lot of leads from on that score. Um, you know, members of Sussex in the late 60s, 70s would probably say the same thing about him that he often didn't look as though he was all that engaged or didn't bowl that quickly playing for Sussex. But boy, when it was Australia, then, um, then you better look out. So, um, you know, there, there are all there are there. I, I'm guessing that there have been a million words written already, um, and there will be be even more, because he um, he kind of just had so he was so multifaceted. Bob, you know, we can go on about his about his cricket, about his bowling, but um, there there are just so many other other things to him. And I, I think I said it on on Sky last night um, that, it, that one of the greatest things about him was was that he was not not only was he interesting. But he was interested, you know. He'd kind of take time to, to to ask questions and to listen and to be and to try and find out about everything that he could, you know, whether it be politics, whether it be you know other sports happening in other sides of the world, um, literature, music, art, all that kind of stuff. He kind of, you know, the the whole thing was a uh, was of was of great interest and, and beauty to him. So. And, and wine as well. Missed. Wine, of he, course. He had, wine. he had his own wine label. Yes. I, I sampled it once yeah. at Christmas. It was a very, very good tipple. A bottle of both of Merrill Willis. It was glorious. But um, uh, uh, on that note, I mean, it was uh, probably the, one of the, one of the uh, iconic moments of, of his sort of um, rapprochement with the England dressing room was, was, the, was 2015 when, um, as, as, uh, as Butch mentions, that the, this, this sort of slight scary standoffishness that the, that the England players had. But uh, Andrew Strauss instigated a series of meetings to try and try and get the team to meet the commentators, recognise that, you know, they're all in the same camp, all play for England, all passionate, etc. And it just so happened on the eve of the Trent Bridge Test in 2015, it was the turn of the England fast bowlers to go meet Bob Willis and have dinner, and uh, and as legend has it, uh, Stuart Broad was the only person who sampled the wine that night because the rest of them were trying to be on good behaviour and, and uh, ready for the test. And uh, obviously, the following morning, eight for fifteen. So, uh, so you know, that, that it, something 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 worked in that. And and of course, by the end of that test, I think you were in the studio, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, when um, Joe Root wore his Einstein mask and started ripping off uh, Bob Willis, it was. Uh, uh, that was clear a clear moment that um that you know the 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 the, the team understood 
what they yeah. were dealing with. He was no longer this this ogre, the bogeyman. man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean go on, go on, go on. The, the, the sort of the curmudgeonly persona you mentioned, but as we've seen, he was, he was much loved. Uh, yeah, well. yeah. I mean, and you had to. I think you had to get it. I mean, the, the, one of the saddest things for me <laughs> is that is the amount of people who really love Bob Willis on the verdict or love his sort of his punditry and stuff who are taking him word for word serious. Those are the, that's the saddest thing. Is the ones that don't realise that there's you know there's a there's a bit of a there's a bit of a gag in there somewhere. And you just you just have to be open enough to find it. Um, imagine being imagine being that. <laughs> that sort of upset with life that you were kind of you know <laughs> that, that you were hanging on every word of that as being <laughs> as being absolutely the gospel when he's tearing into people yeah. it was entertainment you know yeah. and, he, and he he understood that i mean talking about the wine thing we had a it was a 2014 rioca that we drank this restaurant out of over the course of two and a half <laughs> nights in 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 barcelona on a, on a on a on a little bit of a jolly that the commentators all went on at the end of one year um and he 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 absolutely he tore into this guy about saying you know this this is the vintage that particular year 24 incredible summer um this is the one we want so the guy kept bringing them out he kept bringing them out and eventually we'd, we'd run them dry and bobby would bobby just have to how can how the devil can you have run out of this stuff and again he sort of went into full verdict mode and we were all sort of sitting there like shoulders going up and down behind our you know behind our uh uh, but with our hands up over our mouths, and the poor old waiter had no idea. He was a uh, poor, unsuspecting young opening batsman getting torn, torn off one at the end of it. <laughs> well, I guess the, the final word really ought to go to his his, his bowling because um, I, I, I was reminded actually, um, Matthew Engel, I think it was his his guardian obituary, made the point that you know, as Butch says, he was bloody minded. He 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 knew how to look after himself in his career, but also uh, when he when he was at Surrey, apparently there was uh, there was pressure. Much as there is at the ECB in this day and age to to hone that technique, the, the run up to the crease to try to get him straight, to try to stop him flapping his arms, he didn't want any any of it and end up moving to to Warwickshire. But uh, but ultimately, if you look at the look at footage again, go back to heading the eighty one. As I imagine anyone who's been who listens to this podcast has, has been doing over the last twenty four hours, if you look at that spell, just the, you know, forget the flapping run up, just look at that final moment of delivery, the way the ball just his knuckles scrape the sky and he. That arm just whips down with with such power, such panache, such such fury. It's a, it's absolutely terrifying to watch as as a as a spectator from behind the bowlers up behind the batsman's arm, as obviously it is in 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 the old school footage with with him tearing down. Um, just imagine what it was like to face him. <laughs> yeah, especially with that that look in his eye on that day as well. I mean that that fight, the stump going out of the ground, the final the final wicket, and the, his. His celebration forever sort of etched on the memory as well. I mean, you know, incredible, incredible stuff. Um, and and I think he almost didn't play in that test. A bit like you almost didn't play Headingley in in uh, two thousand one. <laughs> Is uh, that right? Was uh, that, what, there was he had the, the flu. He, he had yeah. He wasn't he very had, well. Had the flu, and he and he had sort of no ball problems, and his rhythm yeah. was all mm-hmm. over the shot and everything. And but, but the legend has it that Mike Mike Hendrick who got the call up. But um, but um, he he spoke to Brearley and said, "Why why why have I been, why have I been dropped? I'm fit." And they said, "Well, you didn't play for Warwickshire." I was like, "I was resting. I was trying to rest myself for the Test match." They had to try and intercept the intercept the invitation. Obviously, it was all done in the post in those days, mm. and there was an invitation winging its way to Mike Hendrick at the time somewhere in Derbyshire, and um, somehow they managed to sneak in and and whip it out of the postman's hands, and the rest is history. So <laughs> um, extraordinary. Um, and, different era, and oh, it's just one final thought. But a, a rare fast bowler as captain. I mean, for, for you know, for England or for uh, 
anywhere really mm. you, you he was reluctantly so as well wasn't he kind of he, he took it on in the absence of anybody else being well obviously they, they'd run through them in the last in the previous years yeah. obviously both of them had done it and then mm. clearly we know what happened in 81 and hit and really came back but then retired and then Keith Fletcher did it for the winter but didn't go on and, and suddenly it's like well who we got left I mean it was a, it was too early for Gower uh, Gooch obviously had uh, had gone on the Rebel Tour so boycott um, you know all the senior players were all the senior players who would be senior through the 80s either weren't there or were just a little bit too young so it's like well fine my turn and his record was incredible, actually. I mean, not so much the winning, but um, he, he averaged 21 in that period in 18 tests and right at the fag end of his career. And when you consider his knees were falling off and his last test, in fact, was Headingley in 84 when, when finally it became clear that, that the West Indies were too good for him and it's like, the end is nigh. That was it. He never played any games again after that. But to go through that that period, in what he'd have been... Mid to mid to late mid mid thirties by then I guess, and um, yeah, with with knees of a ninety year old and uh, mm. and still averaging twenty one, uh, quite a quite a quite a pro. Um, did he give you his verdict on his verdict on on the the Dylan um, times are changing? Uh, no, yeah, he really year. enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, he liked it. It was <laughs> the seal of approval. The, the, the only one required, really. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was again. He was always kind of quietly. Um, uh, enthusiastic's not the right word. Encouraging about the music stuff. I, mean, I did a some solo slot on one of the on one of the Sky Cricket programs once, and I got a text message out of the blue from him saying, "Great stuff," you know. Um, so yeah, there was a, a, put it this way: there was a, a lot of admiration from my side, but I think he was kind of reasonably fond of me too. So, which makes it even harder to harder to cope with. Well, uh, clearly a very uh, special member of, uh, of the cricketing uh, community. Um, thanks both. Rest in peace, uh, Bob Willis. Back to Sodden Seddon Park and the second New Zealand test uh, then. Um, easy for me to say. What would, what would Bob Willis have made of that England performance then, Butch? <laughs> well, well, I mean... <laughs> Well, Alan, <laughs> well, <laughs> off, off your longest put, run. Put it no, put it this I think as he, you were on the first night, but think, we'll get to that. I think he would have. I think he would have been. Um, he would have been reasonably happy that the, that the the batsmen had kind of got themselves stuck in on a on a flat deck. I think he would have been absolutely disgusted by the by England's selection. I think he would have been disgusted by the surface. Um. Which, I mean, to be fair to the, to the groundsmen, they kind of tried to leave. The problem with it was that they left too much grass on it. They tried to, to make it bounce and carry, but all that did was mean that by the, by day three, it was kind of as it might have been on day one. Um, and therefore there was no deterioration. The whole thing held together. Um, and mercifully, you know, mercifully the weather came in and, and, and sort of ended it early because neither team, you know, New Zealand had no, they had no um, no need to sort of go out and try and push the issue. They were 1-0 up in the series. Uh, their record at home is, is incredible. It continues to get better and better. And they're a very, very good side, by the way. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and England kind of didn't really answer any questions that that uh, that we were hoping they might on the trip, which was, you know, the the opening bats from birth is still, still a little bit up in the air. Rory Burns is going great. Um, he needs a partner. Um, what the hell do you do with a kookaburra ball when the pitch goes flat? That still hasn't been answered. Um, they've decided now 
that with a, with a ball that does nothing, which is widely widely regarded by the England team as doing nothing, doesn't swing, doesn't seem that the the answer to that is to play even more non swinging, non seeming seamers. <laughs> uh, which is utterly baffling. And um, so yeah, Bob, Bobby would have he, it would be one of those ones I think where he kind of you know he kind of rolled his eyes to the to the to the heavens, um, said something like, uh, you know, you're an idiot, babe. It's a wonder you still know how to breathe about England selection. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and other than that, sort of praise the batsman for finally scoring some runs on a flat one. That would have probably been it. <laughs> well, they, they certainly did do that. Mm. Um, and that was, aside from the weather washing things away and a couple of hundreds for Kane Williamson and, and Ross Taylor um, England's chances of winning and testing New Zealand for the first time since 2008 kind of uh, disappeared um, but there was one big daddy of a positive uh, for them uh, to fly home with and that was Joe Root's double hundred his third highest test score his longest test innings and a real real captain's knock I suppose yeah I mean it's it, it, there's only so much you can read into an innings of that magnitude on such a flat pitch. But at the same time, you know, as extended nets go, it was invaluable. You could see, actually Butch said it better than I could. His, 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 his analysis was spot on on, on Sky about his footwork and just the, the, the way in which his, his balance just came back to him in the course of that innings. I mean, if you, you think back to the struggles he's had certainly in the course of this summer, he, you know, he got four fifties in the ashes, but never looked at home. But I think back to the World Cup final. And the, the way in which Colin de Grandon paralysed him. Remember, he got seven from 30 balls and that's mm-hmm. dog of an innings. If Joe Root, of all people, cannot rotate the strike by running the ball down to third man in that habitual way, then something is badly wrong with, with, with his, his setup. And, you know, by the end of that innings, at the start of the innings, he was, he was still struggling to time the ball. But by the end of it, he was back to that ability just to get off strike and, you know, pick up 30 runs before you even notice he's, 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 he's scored anything. Mm-hmm. And, and that is absolutely invaluable. That, that is, it's his release shot, that ability just to get off strike without, without anyone noticing he's done it. And by the time, by the time he was motoring, you know, he, he, he inched his way through the nineties. He, he clearly, there, you know, you can, you can read too much sometimes into that conversion issue, but you can be damn sure that he's aware that people will talk about it every time he fails to get to a hundred, every time he gets to fifty. So he was absolutely dead set on getting over that line. But once he got past a hundred, you could see the pressure come off his shoulders and suddenly he was back to the fluent Joe Root that, that we know and love and so yes it's a massive positive for England going into uh, what is actually a very rapidly approaching South Africa I mean they, they name they name they haven't even named the squad but they fly out next week it's, it's just madness um, but you know that that is a huge positive but you know ultimately you know if you if you look at the the preconceptions of the team going into that tour you can say that that for all that he exceeded expectations with that knock. You can say that, that Root, Stokes and Rory Burns emerged with the sort of performances that you probably hoped or expected they would produce because they've, they've emerged as England's best batsmen. The rest, unfortunately, the same old problems with the glorious, potential glorious exception of, of Ollie Pope, who, who looked the part again, hard to read into it in a, on a slow deck, but having batted for however many uh, two sessions effectively with Joe Root at the other end a great learning experience for a guy coming through so that's a big positive for England a potential uh, guy at number six who might be you know a a real banker for the future but beyond that I mean uh, you're still in the position where you know from 
ever since Strauss's retirement, we've had one opener essentially in in Cook. We now got one opener in Burns because Dom Sibley didn't prove much in his performances. Zach Crawley had one innings. You can't read much into a single figure score, but but at six as well. But you know the way he got out didn't exactly speak volumes about where he's at in in in, in the technical side. <clears> so <throat> it's tricky, England, and and of course in in jettisoning Jack Leach and and going in with that that all seam attack, they've they've almost taken a step backwards on that front as well. Because you know for a while it looked like Leach was a guy who they could really build. I spoke about it only a couple of weeks ago that he looked like a, a pillar that England could trust as a, if not a wicket-taking spinner, at least a holding bowler. And now they've they seem to have thrown that out the window as well, and, and thrown that into doubt. There's lots of talk about trying to persuade Moeen Ali back for South Africa, but you yeah. know who knows whether he's ready to come back. It's it's all up in the air. So you know, one step forward. Um, I think actually on balance, quite a few back as well. <laughs> well, uh, there we go. Uh, the story of England's test fortunes in recent times, perhaps. Um, the most memorable thing about the final day, or should I say memeable, was uh, Joe Denley's <laughs> drop of Kane Williamson. A bit of schoolboy feeling that uh, schoolboys would be embarrassed about. Had to wade through all that sludge in order for the for the piece of gold to uh, to rear itself up. Man. <laughs> I mean, just the, the reactions were just so priceless. I mean, think about it. Poor old uh, Joffre. This is this is something that slightly concerns me, right? We'll get to the catch in a moment. But yeah. It slightly concerns me. It concerns me that that, that um, Joffre Archer seems to attract the sort of um, un, uncritical and unthinking abuse um, that uh, that has. I'm not saying that it's racist. I'm just saying it has shades of something that is a little bit more than just being upset by a particular bowler's performance. Stereotyping. I'm throwing that out there. Because, you know, here is a guy who less than six months ago had never played international cricket before. He's won a World Cup, has has provided some of the most extraordinary moments of drama during an Ashes series, duels with Steve Smith, etc., etc. Suffered a torn side for his trouble. Uh, and is now expected to, to sort of carry England's line for the for the foreseeable future. And he has a couple of spells, maybe more than a couple of spells actually, on on a, on this trip in New Zealand on what everybody said are pretty flat decks, um, without and not being able to hit ninety miles an hour for every spell every day throughout the course of those two Test matches. Right now, so all I'm saying to people is just back off a little bit. Have a little bit of um, have a little bit of thinking about your about your criticism of certain people. Understand that fast bowling in itself is is an incredibly difficult and uh, physical act, um, and that you're not always going to be at the, the top of your game or the, at the top of your speed when doing it. Okay, so, so I'll just lay that one out there. Second is going back to the catch. So Joffre has, in an attempt to try and make something happen on this surface has bowled a delivery with no front arm, knuckleball, and completely and utterly stuffed New Zealand's <laughs> preeminent batsman. A difficult and man to stuff. Jeez, he's a good player. Um, and completely and utterly foxed him. Bats miles out in front, chips his turn. So, of course, Joff is celebrating. He's got, you know, turns around, <laughs> you beauty. And it's a proper, oh, you ripper, look what I've done here. And then it goes on the floor. Um, there, there, were, there were two shots I seem to, seem to think seem to remember other than Joffre's sort of face obviously the broad hands above the mouth which is a meme in itself <laughs> yeah. isn't it? you put that to just about anything we'll have that, oh, one, my broad we'll have again. that well, election coverage it's going to be there <laughs> right. um, 
And the, but the, the best one, the best one was a very, very sly shot. The, the camera from mid-wicket, and that must have been the, the, the camera from cover. Um, Zach Crawley's feeling extra cover, so he's directly opposite um, Joe Denley on the other side. And the youngster in his foot, he has no idea what to do with himself, so he kind of turns to the side and just, this he just pees himself laughing, <laughs> right, trying to hide his face from everybody else and just then disappears out of shot. Um, and that was, yeah, that pretty much summed it up. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know how you drop that. It was I don't know how you drop. That. <laughs> it was extraordinary. I mean, you, you say you say it's a sort of sort of catch a schoolboy would take schoolgirl as well. I, I did an experiment actually at home even with the even with the, even with the bigger ball. Yeah, at home over dinner the other night, I just I just said, said to my daughter, you, you did some catching drills. Well, I, I just said to my daughter, it's completely out of the blue. You're a bad man. Completely out of the blue. Just, just go stand over the other side of the room for a second. She was a bit, looked a bit confused. Oh, okay, when I stood, I stood over by the telly, and I picked up an orange subtly and just lobbed it at her. It a, caught the orange. I was like, well, okay, you pass. There you go. There you go. <laughs> utterly baffled and went and sat down and continued in it. But, but yeah, I mean, the it sort was of like the, the ease, the ease of the drop is actually it's kind of irrelevant, isn't it? I mean, you, everyone can see it. You don't have to make comparisons with with other people that may or may not have caught it or uh, situations in which you would actually drop something like that. It's just completely inexplicable that a professional cricket player would drop that. I mean, it just is. Um, and so, therefore, it, it sort of goes down in history as being one of the brilliant moments of Test cricket. It's absolutely, it's absolute comedy. Uh, I'll go with Mike Gatting in Madras in 92. I mean, even, even Gat had, I mean, even the semblance of an excuse, I suppose. He, he seemed to reckon the sun was in his eyes. Um, the, uh, the sun would have to have been setting pretty low for that. (laughs) There was just nothing. There was nothing. And, you know. I saw someone pointed out on Twitter. I mean, in, in, in trying to, trying to legislate, in trying to compare Denley and Gatting, he said, well, as, as a, as an under, under, under tens coach, I don't tend to lob it high up and loop it up because above the eye line. Just try to keep it below the eye line so that it's easy to catch. <laughs> so anything that goes above the eye line is 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 obviously a different different kettle of fish. So so you know I'm afraid, Dennis, you've you've, you've outdone Gat. Oh, it's <laughs> the official says the under ten coach. It's, yeah. it's I mean, and, and let's be fair to Joe Denny. Didn't he catch one of the one of the great catches? He did at Lords at Lords, diving yeah. at wicket like death defying. <laughs> Um, gravity defying sort of, uh, uh, so, you know, it's just one of What do you do? What do you do? <laughs> Expectations mm. versus reality. Mm. I've, I've dropped a couple before myself, but I think most disappointing was that he didn't manage to get it on the second attempt because it was yeah. so slow. It, twice. <laughs> it, it kind of lobbed up. Oh, there's and then, another. And then couldn't another. pick it up off the floor either. It was kind of, I, I'm imagining at that point he just, you know, the, 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 the the bile was rising in his stomach and his knees had gone, you know, to turn to jelly with just the realisation of what had happened. So he was fumbling and he couldn't pick it up off the floor. Oh, what a t- it's just a nightmare moment. Taxi. He'll be he'll waking up in a cold sweat about that for the rest of his day. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the I can't get my pads on in time, I'm going to be timed out dream for him forever <laughs> yes yes the recurring nightmare um not having revised for your uh, english a level that's uh, that's my one um you revised for those <laughs> uh talking about archer in fact uh, um, miller i mean his reaction a broad beam a grin uh, eventually yeah, yeah which Took not, a moment. not all i mean Maybe James Anderson, Bob Willis. But, you know, mm. there might have been one or two um, more uh, more scathing responses to that sort of drop. Yeah, um, you know, I and Archer having, but as Butch says, bowled more overs than anyone on on this uh, for mm-hmm. England on this tour. Yeah. Um, uh, t- 
strive to, to find ways to, to get something out of the, the, the deck. Out of yeah, the, he really did. Out I of mean, the ball. Um, and <laughs> finally did. And then, um, yeah, was Joe's, Joe's Butterfingers. It was a great delivery and he's a great bowler. I mean, you know, there's no doubt, no doubt about it. I mean, it's, it was, it was a dog of a dog of a deck for any fast bowler, mm-hmm. and it was clear on that final final day he'd given up trying to hit the middle of the pitch and try to challenge the speed gun. There was no point, and so out were coming all his one day variations. And you know, it, it was you know again useful match practice. He he will benefit from having played on a pitch this flat because you mm-hmm. know get out to Australia in two years' time, which is clearly the end the end goal for this particular incarnation of England cricket. It it it, it is where they want to be in two years' time. And having been through all of this, and you know, Chris Wokes, likewise, I haven't talked about him yet. But the way, the way he, well. the way he bowled with the Kookaburra for yeah. the first time, having averages sixty odd overseas previously, mm. he averaged twenty on this trip with 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 you know line and length, and you know, trying to give up on swing, basically gave up on the conditions, but just hit the areas and did really well with it, and then got one to nip off the seam and, and took Tom Latham's edge. So you know, that that's the way that England are going to have to function in in the future. So it's a huge learning experience. I mean, let's not forget, Joffre Archer had, had no, it wasn't just he'd never bowled with a kookaburra; he'd never played in a first class match overseas. You know, this this was this was a step up in 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 his education. Uh, you know, you go through a home summer with the, with a World Cup and an Ashes, and you kind of think you cannot learn anything more from from that sort of intensity. But my God, you can, and he's yeah. just he just has a d- different a, kind of intensity. Yeah. A, yeah, yes, yes, the sort of the, the, lack the, of. the, the intensity that, that challenges your very soul. <laughs> um, the, the, a, uh, the man who spent a few nights up <laughs> watching it. Yeah, boy, yeah, so that so that you don't have to. Right? <laughs> um, the, uh, from from that point of view, I mean, listen, the, the pitch the pitch was very very flat. Okay, this endless carping on and harping on about the kookaburra ball and its merits or otherwise is so counterproductive you would not believe because let's face it if you're australia and all you do is hear english pundits english bowlers english players talking about how the kookaburra ball needs to be outlawed do you think there's any chance you're not going to be using the kookaburra ball <laughs> just, you know so get used to it um it's this is how it has always been i would say for the for the people um you know for the for the folks at home sort of worrying about the death of test match cricket and all that kind of stuff. Generally speaking, it's, it hasn't been too bad, has it? We don't get many draws anymore. Um, and the and and the, the conditions, <laughs> the conditions overseas sometimes the pitches can get very very flat. I think it was the fourth in thirty-four tests this year. I think we right. saw that stat, which yeah, which which just goes to show there you're you right. Go. So all I'm saying is that the ball itself comes up comes comes under a lot of stick, right? However, it's the pitch more than anything that that, that dictates everything. Cast your mind back to the summer. Pitches in England, it's a kookaburra ball, it's a white kookaburra ball, which, which arguably swings moves even less than the red one. Okay, but on surfaces which were average to say the very least, we won't go there again. Um, <laughs> suddenly, you know, the, the, the ball and the big bats and the ball did not suddenly, you know, have the ball disappearing out of the ground. So it's yeah. the 22 yards, it's the pitch. Uh, Get the stuff about the ball, it's the pitches that are the issue. If you've got a problem anywhere, it's, it's with the 22 yards. And because it's not an exact science and because, as I was uh, reminded, by several irate groundsmen during the course of the, the World Cup, <laughs> that, it, that you know sometimes you can do everything that you want, and the pitch doesn't still doesn't turn out the way that you want it. Um, you know, it, it's it can at times be frustrating, but understand what it is you're watching, and understand what it is um, that makes the game. Somebody like Shane Warne, for example, which is again, we'll get back to the idea of not playing a spinner. I'm sure you're sure you've got something. <laughs> there, um, but somebody like Shane Warne, for example, no really like the Kookaburra. Why? Because the Kookaburra. With it, 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 yes, it had slightly less of a seam to grip, but it, 
but it was it got tacky, it got sticky, and mm. therefore he was able to impart real heavy revs on that ball. So you know, for some for some types of bowler, they really really like it, mm. and for other types of bowler, particularly those who are charged with using it when it's when it's in its first twenty years of age, you have to understand. It felt like years. <laughs> <laughs> you, have to you have to understand that you cannot waste. The new ball has to hit the stumps. It has to hit the top of off stump as many times as you can possibly manage it, even if it means you get pinged back past you for three or four boundaries in and over. Because the one ball that moves and the one ball that swings, you have to have it at a length where the batsman is first of all playing it, and secondly has a chance of nicking it to hopefully a slip or two behind the, or three behind the stumps. Um, the, 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 the way that the game is played is that it can move very, very quickly while the ball is new, and there's two reasons for that. One, you should be attacking the stumps and pitching the ball up, and two, you should have lots of men behind the stumps to catch it. But then it's very easy to drag it back because when the ball stops doing anything, it stops doing anything for everybody. <laughs> you know, so the batsman, if you bowl it again straight enough with the field set right, you can slow the game down. So you have to be willing to kind of... It's, there's just a different rhythm to it over than there is over in England. It really is. Where, where you kind of have to be willing to take risks to take wickets while it's new and then pile pressure on when it gets a little bit older. And the sooner that the, sooner that the guys, the team, and a lot of them have played a lot of cricket over there, can kind of get it, work it through and into the psyche of the rest of the team that this is how it's going to go. These are our best chances of being successful. Then more, you have more of a chance of being able to get somewhere than endlessly carping on about how the ball isn't your friend. <laughs> and then, you know, and then maybe pick a bowling attack that might be able to do something with, 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 with the ball as well. Try that. Try well, it. <laughs> Please. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, Butch may have had some, uh, some feedback on, on his performance on this subject, uh, at the start of the test. Obviously, we recorded Switch on the, the morning last week. The advice was sound and, and clear. Don't consider dropping the spinner. <laughs> See, we'd heard about the pitch being, you know, uh, a, a, a jungle. It was so green. Um, England bought into that that theory, uh, and, and initially this sort of bore all the hallmarks of a classic cock-up. Uh, they kind of eagerly insert the opposition, and then the ball doesn't swing or seem at all in the, and in the first down, and your one wicket is a Jeep Ravel freebie. Um, in the end, you know, they batted well uh, and the weather uh, kind of ruled out any possibility of it coming right back to bite them. But certainly it doesn't say much for their uh, faith in, in Jack Leach. No, it uh, doesn't. You know, I to, mean, have, to have dropped him at the first opportunity. Mm. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk about the 16 millimetres of, of fuzz <laughs> on that pitch. I mean, I, I wrote in the first morning, it, it looked like a, a fake beard. And, and, and it actually played like one as well. It played like a disguise. It was like... Which it was a, a beard is a, you know... Yeah. Uh, Indeed, it was, it, was as, it was as if the groundsman had, had realised, oh my God, I've prepared an absolute dog here. I better leave leave a jungle on top just to make it look as though it's going to do something. And lo and behold, it didn't. I mean, it did. I mean, marginally, you know, on balance, ultimately you can say that perhaps England were right to bowl first because they bowled them out for 375 and then could have scored 500 if they hadn't mm. rushed through their innings. So uh, they were also, also aided and abetted, I think, um, which is not to say that they, they didn't do a, a damn good job because I mean, Broadie broad, bowled, bowled his boots he did. Um <clears throat> in that first innings. Um, but they, I think they were helped by the by the rain that came in late on on the first day because um, it, it really chucked mm. down, didn't it? And yeah. then it was it was noticeable that the ball did a lot more in that that early. You know, they started half an hour earlier, so the early yeah. forty five minutes after the covers had come off, etc., etc. It did it did a bit that morning, which helped just to knock them over. Mm. Because otherwise, you could you could very easily have seen um, you know another another sort of B J Watling um, masterclass. Yeah. 
um, another anonymous huge hundred. But ultimately, <laughs> who, you know, gets his kicks from doing exactly that. Yeah. Um, that that was that was on the cards to have happened again. So you know, fair play to fair play to England. But again, back to the point about the spinner. That the spinner wasn't the issue in the first innings. The spinner was the issue in the second innings. It was well, you know, if the if it hadn't been for rain, would you England might have had a chance to turn the screw if they'd had someone who could turn the screw. Would you believe that the spinner comes into the game in the second <laughs> half of a Test match? Would you believe that it doesn't get played who, over two innings? Who in, knew? You know, day one and day two. Incredible. And and in oh. <laughs> in Mount Monganui, Mitchell Santner bowled I think five overs in the first innings, and yeah. then yeah. pretty much helped win on the game in the Shocker. and scored a hundred as well. Which, but yes, you know, Jack yeah. Leach wasn't far and, off that. And hey, look, <laughs> you know, Jack Jack went down with gastroenteritis. Could have ended up with with could have ended up with no bowl. But then he also, if he'd been out in the field, he might not have got the bug. Um, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but the, the, it's the intent, isn't it? The intention yeah. is, you know, the, the toss. Joe said. Um, that, you know, we're playing five seamers. So it, he didn't say we're picking an extra run because we're worried that Ben's knee might go. It wasn't that at all. It was we are yeah. literally, we are picking five seam bowlers. Um, and the, 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 with the rationale being that the Cookerbro doesn't do a great deal. Um, so we need to play more bowlers who don't yeah. do a great deal. <laughs> then he repeated that at the end of the test, sort of saying, well, we've, we've had an experiment here, so it gives us an option for South Africa as if they're going to do it again in South Africa, which just yeah. just beggars belief. I mean, it, I, I, it, it's a massive indictment. It really, it's a massive indictment on the way they feel about Leach, the way they felt about Parkinson. He was just, you know, un, unpickable. Um, so why, you know, why take him? Um, it's an indictment on the way that we that we view and use spin in this country as a in general in, as a whole. Um, and it kind of, you know, it, it sort of begs a question as to. What are they looking for? What they what they are looking for? It's a rhetorical question. What they're looking for is for Mo and Ali to come back mm-hmm. so that he can shore up, you know, lengthen the batting lineup and bowl some overs of spin should they need it as a sort of a cursory nod mm-hmm. to the idea of a slow bowler. That's what they want. Um, you know, Joe even said in his interview at the end of the game, "I'm going to as soon as I get back, he's the first person I'm going to see." So I mean, you <laughs> yeah. know, that tells you all you need to know. But I mean, I was looking at the stats. It was a couple of days ago, so I can't remember them exactly. But Jack Leach's figures I think in the fourth innings I think he's taken 18 wickets at 21 including a five for in the second innings to win a test in Sri Lanka so mm. you know it's not as if he's been an absolute outright failure at bowling sides out I mean perhaps he 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 would you know take us leave aside his batting which obviously was heroic during the ashes perhaps he was he didn't have the the Nathan Lyon moments uh, at Edgebaston where he <coughs> completely ran through a side but mm. I don't think he left himself well, how, many, how many test matches has Nathan Lyon played now a lot, yes. Right, <laughs> How, you know. So again, you've got a you've got a chance really in a test match that's not part of the test championship. It's a real freebie to give Jack Leach another another test to get overs under his belt and to mm. work at the things that that he obviously isn't hasn't got one hundred percent yet. I mean, it's all about experience. Other players need experience. Other players are given a chance to to find their feet at test match level, but apparently spinners not. Um, I just I just beg. It doesn't make any sense to me. That's. And, and I think that was pretty evident from the pod last week and then from, and then from post-toss uh, rantings on, uh, on the telly as well. Listen to Butch. Listen to Switch. <laughs> um, and and it, given those um, decisions taken with selection, it, in the end, Ben Stokes ended up still bowling 27 overs on a dodgy knee. Yeah, I don't know what they're trying to do with him there. I mean, again, it's, you know, it, it looks as though they've they recognised there is a... A problem, but it's not a new problem. It's a familiar problem. Therefore, it'll be all right. It'll, we'll manage it. But then, having said they're going to manage it, it was clear after two overs on whatever it was, the third day, 
he was in he was in agony. He came out came out the side. It looked as though he wasn't going to bowl again. There's all sorts of talk about him going for a scan overnight. He'd be monitored, etc. Then he comes out and thumps down twelve more overs the following morning. It's, what? what? Mm. Why? Why? Why break him again? If if is this is this an important series or is it not? Do you want to have the World Test Championship points from a very high profile tour of South Africa in a couple of weeks' time, or do you not? And if you want them, you don't break your preeminent player in what is actually his secondary role these days, because actually he's, 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 at the moment, he's England's highest rated batsman. Um, you don't break him before such a high profile tour. So again, strange decision making on every level from England in this, uh, in this, in this test. And ultimately, it, you know, it was washed out. It was quite clear from a long way out it was going to be a draw. There was strange maneuverings on all manner of levels. Um, just briefly on on the batting, there was there was hope for Pope as mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, made in Test fifty, and uh, I mean he showed a sort of maturity batting two hundred and two balls. Yeah. I think only once. There, there were a couple of occasions here, a couple of occasions where I kind of looked up, eyes open, and 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 <laughs> and, and, and mistook him for Joe. Yeah. So yeah. you know the, you know the, the, the sort of the forward press, the lean into the ball. Mm-hmm. And this is Joe playing very well by this time. So um yeah I mean he's it's evident that he's got something whether you know what, what they decided to do with him having he's now kept wicket about 7 back 4 back 6 that was um, weird as well yeah yeah but you know <laughs> they, well, they didn't have any choice did they they, they went well, they did. went they against folks <laughs> went against all convention and didn't and didn't yeah. have a spare wicket keeper mm-hmm. so uh, and and he dropped one on the final day which, uh, yes he did yeah he uh, dropped yeah. he dropped one at the probably clanger, means actually. he's not going to be keeping the gloves for he the for next test it was a bad one uh, yeah. um any, but anyway look he's he's a He's going to be a fine, fine player, and they need to decide very, very quickly. Again, what are we doing with this kid? What are we doing with our batting lineup? Is he going to bat six? Um, does is Bester going to come back in and play as a batsman only? Is Bester going to come in and, and and knock Josh Butler out of the reckoning entirely and bat seven and keep wicket? The unfortunate thing about where we are at the end of the trip is that there, are, there again, just seems to be more questions, more questions than they were before they started, um, which is not. I'm guessing where they wanted to be. <laughs> um, Millard, uh, Dom Sibley's first outing. Um, talking of questions and answers, showcasing his front-on uh, Gary Palmer-inspired technique. Um, it's hip to be squared up these days. Uh, yeah, well, it makes it all the better. Immediately, you flush on the helmet. Immediately, it? Uh, <laughs> immediately, some issues became apparent with yeah. uh, with his scoring areas and, and yes, getting well, getting he, sconed. Well, he got sconed in the in the warm-up game and then got sconed exactly the same way. He was trying to sway, couldn't quite sway, couldn't duck either, and then got hit flush on the helmet. I mean, I don't know. It's it, you can't a bit like Crawley. You can't read too much into a very small sample size. But there were there wasn't a lot that encouraged that this is the guy who's going to be. The banker at the top of the order. I mean, I can see the scenario whereby Denley goes back up to open in South Africa to make room for for Bester. Maybe again they're fudging, but what else can you do? It's. Uh, I don't think. I don't think England have got an obvious next best opener after Burns. But but to have Burns cemented as mm. the best opener England have got and one of the best in the world now, because uh, you know it's slim pickings, frankly. Um, I think it. I think that that is that is definite progress, but. Again, the same old problems yeah. that are going into South Africa. <clears throat> England have got clear holes in clear positions all through that batting order, and they don't know quite how to fit how to any of their in. pegs in. I mean, look, for for me, the Sibley question is 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 basically this: um, an era, an era, or a couple of seasons whereby openers have scored virtually no runs. Here is a guy who stands out head and shoulders in terms of his, his run making. Yes, the technique looks 
uncomfortable, to say the least. Um, however, Rory Burns' technique mm. at the beginning of his career, everyone was saying, well, that's, he can't bat like that. Well, actually he does, and yes, actually he scores lots of, lots of runs doing it. So, and people are reconciled to the idea that that, that works okay now. Um, I'm not saying that, he, that he's going to be the answer, but what I would say is that having given him two test matches to try and figure it out and, and knowing what it's like to kind of make your way in, in test match cricket, the complete and utter difference that, that is felt by, by, by all but the sort of, you know, the absolute elite of the game and come in and take to it like a duck to water, he's going to need a little bit more time. And so therefore, I would, I would be inclined to leave the top three as they are. Um, but because, listen, how many times have we changed it so often? <laughs> um, you know, leave that as it is, leave Joe at four, figure out what you're going to do with, with five and six and your wicket keeper. Um, and then pick the, the pick the the four other best bowlers. One of them should be a spinner uh, <laughs> to go along with it, and 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 build your side around that. And if and if after the after three or four test matches in South Africa, it looks as though he he certainly doesn't have it. It's, he's way out of his depth. The technique is gonna is not going to allow him to score any runs. Then make that judgment call. But I think it'd be very very unfair, particularly given um, the, the the difficulty of opening batsmen around the world scoring runs at the moment. To jettison somebody after those, was it three knocks now? No, I mean, that's wrong. He's a Sibley the best option for now. Um, in terms of the South Africa squad, uh, we we expecting to hear about that very soon. James Anderson likely to return. Possibility of Johnny Bairstow. Do you think Zach Crawley will be in the party? A uh, few things to, to yeah, weigh I mean, up. I think Chris Craw- Wokes, you Crawley's mentioned, probably sort of improving the full guy. his record. Well, um, Crawley's probably the full guy. I think Mark Wood is also out in Potchefstroom trying to trying to get yeah. his fitness. And his again, his last his last test was St Lucia when he bowled like the, bowled like fire. Mm. So um, you know, if England can find a way to 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 get him back, that they'd that be, is a huge be plus. Enormously keen to have him back in. Why wouldn't they be? You know, Absolutely. for all of the reasons we we talked about with the, the surfaces and the cooker. So Anderson, Archer, Wood. And a another broad probably. I mean that that's uh, and Wokes potentially that that that's a decent decent lineup and 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 a spinner obviously. Um, but you know it's it's still it's still up for grabs and there's no guarantees about Jimmy's calf. I mean I mean all the signs are he's 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 getting there, but then all the signs were he was getting there before it, it snapped again in the ashes. So um, I mean he's not getting any younger. And England have got at some stage to have a succession plan. Anderson, but we've been saying that for a best part of a decade already, and he's, he's still not. Still I don't, I don't not think there are going to be any surprises in terms of that. The, they will have, you know, Anderson and Wood will both be there, fitness permitting, in, in the squad, which means, you know, Saki will be left at home. Sam Curran may or may not make it on the trip. I think they probably will actually, given that they'll probably take um, four, five, five quicks plus Stokes as, as you know, just as a, as a basis for for the squad, um, and then. Uh, so I don't think Zach Crawley will make it. I agree with you there. Um, Ollie Pope will. Uh, and then it's pretty much the rest of the guys that are on the trip at the moment. But Butler and Bairstow will both be there, as will Pope. So you've got three wiki-keeping options. Um, I, my, my feeling it is, as, as again, as I said on the TV, that I'm not sure that both Butler and Butler and Bairstow play now. Um, that, that they'll probably look to keep Pope in the team, have him at six. Or swapping with Ben Stokes, either way round, not 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 that fussed. Um, and then it will be a straight shootout as to who is keeper batsman at seven, um, and it'll be one or the other of those 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 two, which which probably puts the the, the ball back in in Johnny's court. Um, the experiment with Joss as a as an out and out batsman, 
I mean, I mean, it clearly didn't work because he ended up going from batting being a number five to batting at number seven and not keeping. So I mean, that's just nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know. So, so Joss, that, that's the decision they're going to have to make there. And then you you build build your bowling attack out of the, the guys who are fit by the looks of it um, with it with a with a spin bowler. And if that's my my guess is it would be Leach and Leach and Mo make the trip, and that when it comes down to it, Mo will get the nod for his batting. Moeen's been sort of enigmatic on the subject of a return. Yeah, he wants to play. He <laughs> yeah. wants to play. He was he, he was he was a little bit little bit cagey about it when he was out in the Dubai the Abu Dhabi T10. I mean he's in, he's enjoyed he's enjoyed the lack of pressure that's come with franchise cricket for for, for the winter. But you know he he did say he did categorically say he wants to come back at some stage. It's just whether he's ready just yet. His, but it his, sounds like England wants him and and the fact England want him and his great advantage has been that he hasn't been playing. Yeah. <laughs> always better when you're out of the side. And uh, for the victors, New Zealand up next, Australia and India, those should be a couple of quite handy uh, cool. series uh, to come. Yeah. yeah, really good. Really good. Um, I mean, they're, they're a really solid outfit. I think um, Tom Latham's a fine, fine player. Whether or not Australia will have this sort of a little bit, a little bit more bite, a little bit more bounce around, um, around off stump. Uh, to sort of to, to get him fending a little bit off the back foot, that that remains to be seen. That will certainly be where they'll attack him anyway. Um, and then they're, they're just a very very solid outfit. Um, whether or not I I always get the feeling though that with New Zealand against in Test match cricket anyway against Australia, there's always a tiny there's a slight inferiority <laughs> complex about them, and they don't mm. ever quite play as well against Australia as they would do against England. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it, it should be a terrific contest. Two, te- you know, two teams that won't be complaining about the ball because they're using all the time, <laughs> and uh, hopefully it'll be good. <laughs> and then India visiting New Zealand in uh, yeah, in well indeed. I mean, I was I remember back in what was it 2002 when India went out there, and the, you could barely tell the difference between the outfield and the pitches. <laughs> it was so green. I don't think it's going to be quite like that this time, judging by what we've seen <laughs> in, in the last few months. So, so, but but again, that's going to be a huge challenge because it's number one v number two in the world at the moment, and India. Are a side that that really believe they've they've got the fast bowling attack to compete in every every single situation. You, you wouldn't want to leave it too green with those guys. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. And you know they they yeah, they look like a side who can compete in any condition. They've they've got yeah. they've got the wheels in their in their pace attack that that can really put the hurry up on any side. Uh, two humdingers, and who who knew that who knew that New Zealand would be the the marquee team for every every side to play this year in in every format. It's. Uh, it's it's great days for them, and um, that's, I, I I hope they can put up a put up a good showing in, in both. Everyone loves the black caps. Um, <laughs> okay, well there we have it. Uh, the festive season is upon us, so let's tie a bow on this one. England are gearing up for Christmas in South Africa. Ed Smith is making his list. He's checking it twice. We'll soon find out if YJB's still on ice. <laughs> That's all for the next show, of course. Until then, my thanks to Butch and Miller and to all of you for listening to the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com. <laughs>